The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the twelve, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, O Christ. Christ. For the second week in a row, our first reading is from the prophet Jeremiah, who is, who is one of what is called in scripture one of the major prophets, but, but who also, um, like almost all of the prophets to one degree or another, except in Jeremiah's case even more so, um, was not someone people thought was much fun to hang around with. Because, well, let me just tell you a little more about Jeremiah. I think the because will become evident. First, a little background on terminology. That word prophet is often used popularly to refer to someone who foretells the future. And there, there is some of that in the biblical prophets, but really predicting the future wasn't the main thing on a, uh, on a prophet's needed skill set or um, in its job description. Rather, in the Bible, the word prophet referred to people who spoke for God. Sometimes about the future, yes, certainly. But at other times, prophets spoke for God about pretty much whatever God wanted. And so if you read any of the prophets again and again, here's a phrase you will hear. These are prophets' words. Here's a phrase you will hear when you read the prophets. Thus says the Lord. And these various biblical prophets came from all walks of life, but in pretty much every case... um, can't think of immediately of an exception, probably are some, but in pretty much most cases, being a prophet was not their idea. Hey, Jer, Jerry, what do you want to do when you grow up? Be a prophet. No, this is not how it went. Rather, the biblical prophets, most of them, at some point in or another in their lives, in some cases early on, in other cases further on, they experienced what, what felt like a call of some kind or another, a call they often tried to say no to, but they couldn't because they just couldn't get away from what some of them described, including Jeremiah and Isaiah, as this, this, just this burning within them um, that there was something God wanted to say and God wanted them to say it. Now, you may not be a prophet, um, but I'm, it wouldn't shock me if you could think of times in your life where, where you felt a particular calling to a particular something, and in the end, you could know no peace until you said yes to it, because it was God doing the calling. Which takes us to the prophet Jeremiah, who, who as a kid, uh, Jerry, was a, was a PK. He was a priest's kid, who early on in his life had an experience when he said that he heard somehow what he knew somehow to be the voice of God. And what he heard God saying to him, according to Jeremiah 1 verse 5, was this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet 
to the nations. That's Jeremiah's version of what was a typical thing for the prophets, that sense of being called by God for the task. Jeremiah's response to that call was also typical. He didn't want to hear it. So what he said to God basically was, you know, I don't think so. Actually, I, um, I, I'm really not much of a public speaker. Uh, and I've always wanted to be a fireman when I grew up. I think it also said there somewhere. To which God said, essentially, you know what, this is not how this works. And what God said then, uh, that type of thing, he said it in the form of a command and a promise. You will go where I send you, God said. You will say the words I give you to say, God said. But then here comes the promise. Don't be afraid, for I am with you to deliver you. It's good to remember that that last part is a really consistent part of God's M.O. when God interacts with people. That being that when God calls somebody to do something, God doesn't say, and by the way, good luck because you're on your own. God says things like, I will be with you. Back to Jeremiah, where the next thing to know is that not only did he not want to hear God's call that he be a prophet, the people he prophetically spoke for God to didn't want to hear the things he said as a prophet, which it turns out is understandable, given the fact that what he told them, in one way or another, over and over again, is that if they kept living their lives, ignoring the commandments and the desires of God, and if their king kept running the kingdom, ignoring the commandments and desires of God, and acting like he was God, then there would soon, by God, going to be hell to pay. What he said specifically is that if the people and their king didn't straighten up soon and straighten up big time, the Babylonians, who were the newest superpower in the area from the block next door, the bully, they were going to be allowed by God not just to conquer Jerusalem, but to destroy it. This message of the coming destruction of Jerusalem, the holy city, did not, not surprisingly, play to good reviews. But Jeremiah was not one to change the script or to change his stump speeches based on what the critics said. One time he delivered a scathing speech in which he said the king was thoroughly corrupt and would soon die and then be buried with all the honor appropriate for the jack donkey that he was. Another time the king banned Jeremiah from speaking in public, which Jeremiah got around by writing his prophecies down and then having them hand-delivered to the palace, whereupon the king, after reading one sentence at a time, each time, he would sneer at it, he tore it off, and he threw it into the fire. Another time, the people threw Jeremiah into a cistern, left him there for days, which was a time when Jeremiah then prayed one of his uh, actually kind of, kind of famous uh, and long griping prayers uh, in which he reminded God that he had never wanted to be a prophet and still didn't want to be a prophet and God allowing him to be persecuted and punished and laughed out of town not seemingly in other words having his back when he prophesied wasn't helping and it never really got any better for Jeremiah this prophet who didn't want to hear God's call that he speak for God spent pretty much his entire career saying things in the name of God that the people he sent them to didn't want to hear either. 
Which takes us to today's text, <clears throat> which kind of read all by itself is kind of have a hard a little get the grasp of, but with all that background, it makes a little more sense. In today's text, where we find the Babylonian army now on the horizon, and a group of small and weak, and according to Jeremiah, wicked kings, from small and weak and wicked kingdoms, all of them in Babylon's path, are holding a summit in Jerusalem to try to decide what to do about it. The Babylonians, by the way, had already defeated Jerusalem once before, a few years earlier, um, not completely destroying it, but defeating it and, and deporting some of Jerusalem's best and brightest to Babylon. That was part of their MO for, for just kind of dispiriting the people and their ability to react, and also also taking some of the furnishings and vessels uh, for worship from the temple in Jerusalem. This was meant to send a very clear signal, that an, an in-your-face message, that not only is our army greater than your army, our God is greater than your God. In our text for today, the Babylonians are on the horizon again, having gotten word that the king of Jerusalem, uh, who at this time was a wicked and incompetent man named Zedekiah, was summiting with these other kings in Jerusalem to consider this revolt against Babylon. And who should show up at the summit, uninvited and just embarrassingly, but Jeremiah. And he's carrying, actually kind of wearing, uh, a wooden yoke around his neck, a yoke being the kind of thing a team of oxen wore so they could be controlled by its masters. His message, don't rebel. Submit to the yoke of Babylonian rule. It is God's judgment upon your sin. Enter another prophet named Hananiah, who was one of the official court prophets. And well, I'm pretty sure you know the words to that tune. Official prophets, like Hananiah, not surprisingly, had a way of speaking for God by pretty much steadily telling the kings what they wanted to hear. This was good for job security. And so in our text for today, after Jeremiah tells the kings in their summit to stop summiting and instead to submit to Babylon's yoke as God's judgment upon them, Hananiah tells Jeremiah that the Lord has told him that all is well and that the exiles and the temple furnishings will all be back from Babylon very soon and there will be peace and there will be God's blessings upon Jerusalem. To which Jeremiah, and this is where Pam picked it up, in the text we read today, Jeremiah says, Amen. May it be so. Wouldn't it be great if you were right? You want to know something? A prophet's words aren't truly prophetic just because they're spoken. And they surely aren't true just because they are rose-colored versions of what the people and the powerful want to hear. No, sir. A prophet's words are true because they are the truth. And because when they are spoken to the future, they come true. Your all-is-well prophecies of victory and peace for this wicked kingdom time will tell. But I tell you this, it ain't going to happen. Because your narrative of how great everything is, is only that. It is your narrative. 
It is not God's, and so it is not true. Hananiah's response to that was to walk up to Jeremiah to tear that wooden yoke from Jeremiah's neck, smash it into pieces, and then to deliver his own message, his own message. Thus says the Lord, Hananiah prophesies, as the broken yoke's pieces lie splintered on the floor, I'll break, I'll smash the Babylonians and bring all the exiles back from Babylon within two years. And that's how that scene ends, as Jeremiah, having already said what he'd come to say and seeing no reason to say it again, um, left, not saying anything else as he went. Though I think a few at the door did hear him muttering, we'll see, we'll see. Time will tell. You'll see. And King Zedekiah, blessed and bolstered by Hananiah's prophecies, did rebel against Babylon, and time did tell, as Babylon this time completely destroyed Jerusalem and its walls and its temple. And after making sure that Zedekiah saw with his own eyes the complete destruction of his capital city, including the killing of his sons in the process, the Babylonians proceeded to make sure it was the last thing he ever saw. As they pierced out his eyes and then took him in chains to Babylon, where he later died. Prophet's words, Jeremiah said, are neither prophetic nor true just because someone says, thus says the Lord. Prophet's words, rather, Jeremiah said, are prophetic and true because they are the truth. And as such, for better or for worse, when they are spoken to the future, they come true. Which takes us from the past and the future to the present, where uh, starting a week ago and then now all this week, um, in conversation with Jeremiah. I've been wrestling with the thought that the world, including my country, Tis of Thee, has entirely too many Hananiahs and not enough Jeremiahs. Which is to say that we have too few who speak truly prophetically about the past and the present and the future because what they say is the honest-to-God truth while we have too many who speak words they claim are true, but which in fact are creations of their own, which they've created because they are consistent with narratives which have been created and bought into, then to be superimposed over and above truth. Examples abound. Examples of narratives which have been superimposed over and above truth include nationalism, or race, or religion, or fears and prejudices, or, and these days this seems to become almost universally true, the narratives of politics and power are superimposed over and above truth. And what these Hananiahs then do is speak Prophecies which aren't prophetic at all, but are rather self-crafted blessings upon false narratives. 
Unfortunately, these days, the world's Hananiah's reach is wider than ever. For they now have their own news networks and their own talk shows on their networks and their own countless other platforms too, followed and subscribed to primarily by masses who surely, surely all claim to know and love the truth, but who in fact only truly love the narrative, the storyline they've been sold and have bought into, and who therefore regard as true only the prophecies of those who bless them and their stories. Sisters and brothers, we as people, we as a nation, we as siblings in Christ need to relearn, or I don't know, maybe learn finally for the first time that in living life together, we certainly will and maybe even have to disagree on all kinds of things, but we can't disagree well or productively if we do not meet at the truth first. And the truth, the truth, not the narrative someone has written and sold you, is not defined by your citizenship, your race, your gender, your political party, or even your religion. Truth defines itself. And we who are people of faith say that by saying that the truth that is the truth is defined by God. For God, our scriptures claim, is the truth. And truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, is the language spoken by true prophets. Which in that sense means that not all prophets actually uh, are biblical prophets. Some of the prophets are scientists who say things about the planet and about the pandemic that are true, not because we like to hear them, but because they're true. And some of the prophets are historians who say things about race, for example, that are true not because we want to hear them, but because many of those who wrote our first histories left them out. And we need to hear them. Some of the prophets are protesters who nonviolently, for if they are if they are truly God's kind of prophets, say things about systemically entrenched and abusive violence and injustice in our power structures that we may not want to hear, but they are true and they can't be undressed until they are truly heard. And some of the prophets, I imagine, are preachers who, though they have their own personal political convictions, nevertheless know that there's no political party's platform that is entirely consistent with God's platform. And so upsetting some to their right, they remind us that black lives do matter and white privilege is real. But to upsetting some on their left, they remind us that unborn lives matter too. But of course, finally and above all, there are the world's not Hananiah's, but Jeremiah's, who are few, I think, but they are prophets with a capital P. For they don't just speak the honest-to-God truth. They speak the truth for God. Sometimes they thunder when they do so, Echoing, for example, the thundering of the prophet Amos, who thundered, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
But sometimes those who speak for God don't thunder. Rather, for example, maybe thirsty. They say, could I have a drink of water? And those are the words of God. For if Jesus is to be believed, then truth be told, to love them then is to love God then. Amen.